What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome to episode 166 with my guest Tracy Irvine. This episode is sponsored by PillPack, the pharmacy that makes it incredibly simple to take the right medications at the right time. PillPack delivers pre-sorted medications and vitamins directly to your door, saving time and reducing stress. Find a better pharmacy at www.pillpack.com slash happy hour. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour. An hour or two of honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, sexual dysfunction, and uh, maybe maybe you got a little bit of uh, compulsive negative thinking. <laughs> this show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. That should be clear. Thirty seconds in, you should you should be saying to you. Actually, you should be on the fence as to whether or not to continue listening. So I don't even need to preface that I'm just a jackass that tells dick jokes, and I'm not a therapist, and this isn't the doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that has Rip Taylor in it. Uh, the website for this show is mentalpod.com. Go there. Check it out. Take surveys. See how other people filled out surveys. Um, support the show. Read a blog. Join the forum. Um Go fuck yourself. I always forget to add that one because that is always an option is to fuck thine self, as they like to say in the time of Queen Elizabeth. Let me read. I don't know who I'm asking permission from. Please. Won't you please let me read a survey? This is a struggle in a sentence filled out by Gray. Uh, and she's in her 20s, about her depression. She writes, like I got a blood transfusion that replaced my blood with sharp gray rocks. Um, delirium tremens. Uh, he write, He's in his 30s about his depression. He writes, like someone has sucked my soul dry. I'm left empty, hollow, like a can someone is kicking down the street of life, dented and scratched, without anyone knowing what your contents used to be. About his anxiety. The anxiety itself is confusing. Most of the time, I can't tell if I'm hanging on by a thread or busting at the seams. 
about his sex addiction. What can I say? It's the drug that is with you all the time. What better high is there than a toe-curling orgasm? No matter how shitty I know I'll feel afterwards, I'll stick I'll still fuck someone for that brief moment of pleasure. Uh, compulsive behaviors, masturbation, beating that dick like it has a shelf life. Uh, how is that phrase not yet in a rap song? I don't know. Um, he writes, uh, which I guess it does. Late for work? Fuck it. I can rub one out real quick. Um, about his anger issues, strap on your fucking Kevlar. It's an eruption of rage manifested in yelling, punching, kicking, and screaming with the goal of causing as much destruction as possible. You'd swear I was going through an exorcism. And afterwards, peace. Um, other issues. Uh, migraines, a little noise, the slightest bit of light. No, debilitating, like your brain is mad at you and wants the fuck out. I lock myself in a dark closet, huddle down the floor with water, whatever medicine I can find, and wait for the waves of pain to subside. Oh, I see. The migraines are the issue. I thought the migraines were a part of a larger larger thing. Um, oh, man, my heart goes out to people that, that deal with migraines. I can't imagine um, how how difficult that's got to be. Um, sometimes I ask in the, in this, uh, in this survey and people will fill out, give us a snapshot moment, uh, from your life that highlights, uh, one of your issues or struggles. And he writes, I'll give you two after dealing with suicidal thoughts, visions, hallucinations, and then following an especially bad breakup. I told my parents that I was depressed. Their response, laughter. Haven't discussed it with them since. And number two, after graduating college in four years, working every summer while also taking classes, I'm sitting on the end of my uh, of the tailgate of my truck having a beer with my dad when he turns to me and says, we really didn't think you'd make it. We figured you'd be back home after the first semester. Oh, God damn it, do I love the passive-aggressive compliments of a, of a parent, of really anybody. It is a ninja art form. This was the uh, same survey filled out by Daisy, who's in her 30s, about her anxiety. Telling myself I'll be productive, but finding myself stuck to the furniture, unable to take the first step. About her OCD. So many routines around sleeping that I never actually really sleep. Um, about her chronic insomnia, which she, she's had since birth. Feeling that people who try to understand will never understand what it's like. How lonely it is. How frustrating. How the darkness feeds my feelings of anxiety and uselessness. You know, I got to say, I think that one tops migraines. Um, so to uh, uh, delirium tremens, fuck you and your migraines. Daisy just won. What do you think of that? How's that grab you? Uh, this next one, same survey, filled out by a woman who, and I kid you not, calls herself Twat Taco. She's in her 40s. And um, about her sex addiction, she writes, my sex addiction... Addic- my sex addiction, say that fast 10 times, is like finally fucking being in control of something and I will fuck till I am raw and bleeding inside just to feel myself come at all costs. My heart goes out to you and I sincerely hope that you're reaching out to help for that because um, sex addiction is every bit as serious and as, as deadly and life-destroying as um, substance addictions. And so is codependence. Um, pretty much every addiction, Paul. This is a happy moment filled out by um, Joey. 
and he writes, uh, he's in his 40s, and he writes, uh, a vast majority of these tired, bored, tech-zoned, grim-faced people on this overcrowded bus have been held and kissed at some point in their lives. It's oddly comforting and sweetly endearing to try and look beyond their big city posturing and see the person their lover saw. Oh God, I wish I didn't need to take meds. Flat out fucking auditory hallucinations. I would literally wake up running from my bed. I'm afraid that I'll pass my anger on to my son. I thought the gunman was my father. Afraid of not being able to make a living. Um, that's probably going to break his heart if he hears it, but that's that's the truth. They committed him to Bellevue. There was this fear that if I feel this pain, I wish someone could see what was going on and just help me, that it will kill me and I will die and I will drown. You can't think your way out of a thinking problem. And I cried the way that a baby cries cried like an animal. It makes me so mad at myself that I do that. The burden of perfectionism. And that's when I got to therapy. Let's talk about that. I was like, fuck it, I'm alive. I don't give a shit about anything. You are a shining example of what is best about human beings. I'm worried that the uh, Russian militia is coming over the hill. I know that, uh, but uh, Alice, how you feeling? I'm pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> I'm here with Tracy Irvine, who is a uh, listener and we are, uh, you came down from San Jose. Yes. Um, first of all, I want to thank you for being such a, a big supporter of the show. I, I really appreciate it. Uh, we corresponded via email about, what would it have been, about six months or a year ago? Mm-hmm. And you shared some of your, your story with me. And uh, I mentioned, uh, if you ever get down to L.A., let me know, and maybe we can record something. And I warn all my guests, I can't promise it'll ever right. air, but right. let's let's record something. Right. And um, let's start with the basics. How, uh, how old are you? I am 40. 40, and you are a recruiter. Yes, I am. Um, have you always been in recruiting? No, I started, I was actually an accountant for a few years and then fell into recruiting um, completely by accident, but I've been recruiting for about 13 years. And you like it? I do. Good. This is good days. It's bad days. You know, a lot of people interaction gets very tiring. (laughs) It can be very tiring, very draining, but I do. I like it. Do you ever feel like you have to put a facade up to get through the day? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you could be completely... You could be completely having a bad day, but when you pick up that phone and you're talking to your client, which is your hiring manager, you're talking to your candidate, you have to be upbeat. You have to be upbeat and you have to sell. It's all about sell, 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 sell. So it, it gets very draining. Very, very draining. That's got to be. And, and you, yeah. uh, you're you in therapy and yes. you um, battle depression? Yes, I do. How long have you battled depression? Uh, this bout of depression, probably about three years. I had it before um, uh, for a couple of years, which was probably a little bit more of a minor case, according to my therapist. Um, but and I, but and also going through therapy, also, also realized that I've been suffering from it, even ever since I was a child, as well. So especially when you're knee deep in the depression and you're trying to be out there and trying to sell, it's really, really difficult. Oh, I remember having days when I was doing uh, a TV show that. Just like when the when the camera would stop rolling, I would just literally feel my shoulders slump. Yeah. And to make small talk with people felt like lifting weights. Oh, yes. And I couldn't – all I could fantasize about was getting back to the hotel and sleeping until the last minute that I mm-hmm. had to get up and come back and do it the next day. Yeah. And the funny thing is, as a kid, 
I fantasized about being in that spot of being on TV and being the person on mm-hmm. camera. And mm-hmm. it's, oh, the irony. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the irony. Um, so I relate to that feeling yeah. of having to plaster the smile on when you're just not feeling it, when you just yeah. want to pull away from everybody and interactions yeah. are like sandpaper. Totally. And I would go home from work and I wouldn't call anyone i wouldn't pick up the phone i would literally just sit and zone out in front of the tv (laughs) and that's all that's all i could it's all i could manage to do um and even um i mean even wanting to do special projects or you know do creative stuff no energy and i would sleep for hours so yes (laughs) it always when i would get back to my hotel room it would feel like i was slipping into a warm jacuzzi that silence yes that not having to smile yes that being able to Mm -hmm. be the authentic not the authentic me that is the undepressed me, yeah. but the authentic not having to bullshit. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> so where would be a good place to start with uh, with your story? Hmm. Um, your your childhood? Yeah, probably. That would probably be good. So my... Um, Look how they say that almost every episode. Yeah. Where would be a good place to start? Your childhood? Yes. And then we talk about the childhood. I don't <laughs> know why I don't childhood. just say, let's talk about your childhood. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, my childhood. So my, so I'm the youngest of four. My uh, brother and two sisters are a lot older than me, um, eight, 12, and 13 years older than me. So very much have gone through a lot of the uh, trials and tribulations before I even came around and we're kind of up and out of the house. Um, when I was five, my mother was diagnosed with ALS, which is uh, Lou Gehrig's disease, in case anyone does not know. Um, and uh, subsequently, you know, I guess long story short, had that, had that disease for 10 years. And so, and she lived at home the entire time. So a lot of neglect, a lot of stress, a lot of not talking about things. Um, I was a very introverted child, very quiet. Uh, Were you it, that way before your mom got sick? I don't even remember. I, to be honest, and how I was old did so you young. say you were when I she was, was five when five. she was diagnosed? Wow. So, like, I don't even remember. Um, I look at pictures, and I look pretty extroverted and you know pretty out there and looked like I was having a lot of fun but as I got older um, it was just better to kind of blend in to the wall into the wallpaper how did the rest of the family react um not necessarily to you yeah or you can include that but yeah the rest of the family so my dad became the 100% caretaker right so he'd work his full-time job he would come home and he would take care of my mom uh, we had 24-hour nursing care for quite some time, which was a huge, huge help. I think we had something, I mean, I'm going to get the number wrong, but it seemed like 15, 20 nurses, you know, just all around the clock um, to, really? to, to, to take care of At her. At the same time? No, 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 oh. just shifts, shifts. I was like, wow. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> Your mom was a handful. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Well, that she was, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not that kind of a handful. But yeah, no, just to do, we're working shifts, you know, but it was a 24-7 job. Um you know, my older sister and my oldest brother, um, you know, Kathy was married and out of the house when she was 20. Lewis was married um, and out by the time he was in his early 20s as well. I don't really remember about them. My sister, Cindy, was very uh, much the caregiver. A lot was put on her shoulders to help take care of my mom. Um, but everybody became very, from what I saw, very introverted. 
um, it, it was all about the task. It was all about taking care of mom and making sure mom was okay and and that she was. So no emotions were expressed. How Not you how you feeling, mom? Oh no, no. There were no how do you feel uh, questions that ever came out. Maybe now that I'm older and with my sister and we talk about our feelings, but as kids, not at all. Um, what a gigantic elephant in the room. Oh, completely, completely. God. My um, my even relatives. Uh, so my dad uh, had one sister. She was around. She was very supportive. Uh, and my grandmother um, stepped up to help. Uh, my dad's mother helped step up to, to take care of uh, take care of me. You know, kind of help me get off to school and uh, you know make sure I was doing okay. Um, and then, uh, yeah, it just it just oh, so I've, I've lost my train of thought. But my my mom's side of the family. My mom came from this huge South Philly Italian side of the family. Everybody disappeared except for my one uncle. So everybody's reaction to it was to just run away don't come around don't you know what was her relationship with those relatives <clears throat> before she got sick um i th i think with immediate sister it was her half sister maybe strained i don't know if they they got along um my uncle frank best buddies you know definitely you know we're we're we're, we're very tight and we're very tight up until she passed away um, and then, uh, but and, he my, and he was there. He for, was there constantly. He would come over, help do repairs at the house. You know, he would host, you know, holiday dinners, and we would go over there. That really became like my mom's only outlet of social activity was to get out of the house and go see my uncle. And what what uh, town or city did all this take place in? Out, it was uh, a town called Yaden in outside of Southwest Philadelphia. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> I'm just trying yeah. to picture what that must have been like for a little kid that must have been terrified yeah. and lonely. Yeah. Very much so. I'm going to get emotional. Very much so. Very much so. Very, um, you know, and I, didn't, I don't think I realized how lonely and how neglectful until... I started going to therapy again this past few years, you know, and it's like, and it hits me and it gets very emotional and it's like, wow, I really spent all my time alone. I was very much fending for myself. There was no parental care. There was no, you know, guiding you through life. I mean, my mother was there, but she wasn't there. If, you know, which is probably almost the worst thing. And I spent a lot of time in therapy thinking, I wish she had just died right away i mean to live 10 years with that is awful for her right but awful on the rest of us no one had a life no one had no one could express anything no it was all about her so and in that emotional sustenance that yeah. kids need especially at that age yeah. when it dawns on you that you didn't get it there are a few pains as deep mm -hmm. as that right but the, the thing that's kind of nice is you begin to realize that your depression comes from a place that's real. Talk about that session when you suddenly realized how profound the abandonment was. What do you remember thinking and feeling? Um, a lot of anger. A lot of anger. Um, definitely, I mean, I used to feel so hope hopeless um, and so alone. Um I think it just all made sense. 
if that makes sense. <laughs> you know, everything that I had been feeling just completely made sense, and I felt right, and I felt heard. And then I just started crying and was like, this is... I can't believe this. And then I, then I, then the anger started to come out. I was never angry towards my parents and the anger started to come out. Um, you know, there's a lot of anger, you know, to, to kind of jump back. My father passed away a year later after my mother passed away. Um, so he had, I mean, obviously stress, <laughs> you know, being the sole caregiver, um, you know, after, um, even to jump back even a little bit further after, um, we had 24 hour nursing care for my mother, but after a few years, the insurance ran out. I don't exactly know what that means, but we couldn't have that as much nursing care anymore. So more got on the shoulders of my of one of my sisters and my father, you know, where my sister and my father would actually take turns sleeping her sleeping with her at night so they could turn her because she just couldn't stay in one spot for more than a couple hours at a time. Um, and uh, he had a, he had a series of heart attacks. Um, first one when I was 10 um, and then the second one that he eventually passed away from just about a year after she had passed away. So at so, 15? 15 and 16, yeah. You're suddenly parentless. Yeah. yeah. And the one person who did take care of me as a child, my grandmother, my dad's mother, she passed away. Um, she had lung cancer. She passed away when I was eight, I believe. So it kind of started with her, with that one caregiver that I had who passed away. And then I was alone, and then my mom passed away, and then my dad passed away, and it was like just a lot, a lot, a lot to deal with. That might be the understatement of this century. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. But it's interesting, though, as you as you share that, I think well, the physical reality of it finally synced up with the emotional reality yeah. of it. It did just a couple of years ago, out of the blue. Um, Oh, I shouldn't say out of the blue. There was a series of events that happened. Um, you know, you to go through something like that, you spend so much time just trying to live and trying to figure, you know, survive, trying to figure things out. You know, okay, my mom passed away, my dad passed away. I got to be strong. I got to finish school. I got to go to college. I got to find a job. I got to be stable. You know, there was a lot of pressure, I think maybe just pressure that I put on myself to be strong. And I went through all the steps that I was supposed to go through. And then I get to college and I meet my ex-husband, which is a whole other story in itself. <laughs> um, and I, you know, power through. It took me eight years to get my bachelor's degree. I just had no idea what I wanted to do. I had no direction. I was just, I was flailing, right? I just felt like I was out there flailing and, you know, just needed needed help. Were you working a job to support yourself? I was. I was working odd jobs. I worked at McDonald's. I worked at a bank. I worked in a sandwich shop. Like, I was just all over, all over. Did you have any kind of support system? Um, I had so after my after I um, after my father passed away, I moved in with my sister um, who who's eight years older than me. She was just twenty four. She was just married. She's just about to have her first kid. You know, I moved in with her, um, but it was very uh, tenuous. There, it was just very stressful. It was me going from being completely independent and taking care of myself for so long into a household where, you know, I love my sister and her husband dearly, but it was rules, rules and constraints that I was not used to. Um, and I rebelled completely, 
completely rebelled. Um, how'd, they, I, how'd they deal with that? Um, I don't. It was it was tough. It was. Again, we didn't talk about it. <laughs> you know, we just didn't talk about it. I just knew that when I came home, they're mad at me for not doing the dishes. They're mad at me for not doing this. Or you know, they they're mad at me for not paying my rent on time. They're mad at me for for things that you I paid them rent. I did pay them some rent. Yeah, I did pay them some rent. Um, it uh, kind of came out at of, sixteen. Yeah, yeah, I did. I did. It's a little bone of contention for me that I haven't talked about with her. Um, but I guess being an adult and looking back, it kind of made sense. She was just starting off. She was just starting a family. Um, you know, she had a house, she had a mortgage and here's me kind of just coming in and, Hey, I'm here, (laughs) you know, take care of me, put, put a roof under my roof over my head and and feed me. Yeah. I suppose if they didn't have money to, to feed you and pay for your school books and your clothes, um, that's kind of a a harsh reality yes. but it just makes yes. me so sad <laughs> yeah. to think about the 16 year old yeah. you that yeah yeah and a lot of the money came from social security you know the social security benefits that i got from my parents which i burned through right because even 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 little things like knowing how to clean knowing how to cook knowing how to handle money i don't i lack that I, I lack that a lot, um, you know. I, I and I still struggle today in managing my money and you know managing my house and you know taking care of myself. I still very much lack, and and I'm still starting to learn how to do that through therapy and you know through. I think that's therapy. really common, and and I totally relate. Um, yeah. It's um, my therapist tells me that I need to be begin to learn how to self-parent yes that that little wounded kid inside me is just wants to stick to the coping mechanisms that worked when he was a little boy yes and that i need to kind of talk to him Mm -hmm. and say yeah i know we'd like to go play video games for eight hours or look at pornography Mm -hmm. or whatever but you know buddy we need to we need to go do this, and I understand that you're feeling this way. And it felt really yeah. cheesy at first talking to that, but I got to say, it's been a, a breakthrough mm-hmm. doing that. Can you talk about how you are beginning to learn how to parent yourself? Or am I putting words in your mouth no, by saying that you no. that that that's what you're trying to do? Yes, I am. I am trying to learn how to parent myself. Um, I I don't know how. It's it's little things. It's making sure I go food shopping, making sure I have enough food in the house, making sure that I don't go the easy way out, um, where it's really easy when I leave work and I'm really tired and you know I I don't want to cook, right? So I'll just go to McDonald's, right? It's really easy to just go eat for the fast food. Food food is my comfort. That's where I always go when I'm really stressed out or I'm really. I mean, I always go for the food. So we're kind of relearning that and saying, okay, well. You know better. Don't go for the McDonald's. Cook yourself a nice dinner. Take the time to cook yourself a nice dinner. Take the time to sit and. What does do it that. feel like when you make the decision to cook yourself a nice dinner? It feels weird. <laughs> I totally relate. By the way, it it feels like 
for me, it feels like there's a ticking clock, like a 60 minutes, like, Jesus, this is a waste of time. Is. When is this going to end? It's so long, and I have to clean up, and it just takes forever, and I get, I always make a mess, and I'm like, there's no fun in this for me. Yes. Oh, my God. I relate so there's much. There's no fun in this for me, and it's a chore. And it's really easy for me to walk away from something that's a chore. Very easy. Very easy to avoid I, I, and walk away and go get myself a burrito, you know, because I don't have to prepare, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> and I'll overeat and, and then I'll feel better because I'm full and I'm stuffed and I'm fat and lazy on the couch in my cocoon. <laughs> Do you think that's because then the, the battle in your head about your self-worth is over temporarily? Temporarily, yes. Yeah. There's a certain sick relief in going, yes, I'm a piece of shit. Yeah, yes. It's settled. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I feel good. I'm weak and lazy. It's horrible, but I feel good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 What would you say if you if you could talk to that little kid that started to get abandoned when they were five? If the, the parent in you what what would you say? It's okay. Um it's really not that hard and it's not that scary um and you can do it and all that strength that you had to get yourself where you are now you still have um it would be I've even like practiced you know like in you know in therapy I'm sure you may have experienced this where they're like you know hug yourself hug your child, you know, which is really weird. Oh, it feels so fucking cheesy. <laughs> but every single time I lose it, I lose it. And it's like, and it feels good. And like, I can imagine myself, my little self, you know, just, it's okay. It's okay. And, you know, it's, and I feel better. I feel better. Um, it's definitely an ongoing process. Um, you know, what prompted me to get back into therapy? Um, I was in therapy for a short period of time, just for a couple of years. Um, an ex-boyfriend had encouraged me to, to go. Um, and I went and saw this one for a couple of years, and I liked her, but I kind of felt like I got to the point where I wasn't getting anywhere, if that makes sense. Um, and then I thought, okay, I'm better, I'm fine, I'm good. I've talked about everything I need to talk about. Right. I'm going <laughs> to I don't need this. I'm going to go off the well turn. I don't need to do this anymore. I'm fine. I'm, I'm good. So I, I was off um, and I was feeling good for a couple of years. And then um, I went back to Philadelphia. We had a, a town reunion. Um, so the town that I grew up in was a very, very small town, but a very close knit community. And everybody knew everybody. And it, uh, the school, I went to a Catholic grade school, and the school, which no longer exists, uh, some people were getting together, they were going to have a reunion. And then it went from this little St. Louis school reunion to a freaking town reunion. You know, like 2,000 people showed up to this. St. Louis is the name of your grade school? The grade school, yeah. yeah. And like 2,000 people showed up to this reunion. And after, um, I was probably about um, I was probably about 25 when I had moved to Boston when I had moved away um, to go finish college, um, and I tried to get as far away as possible from home. Um, that was probably the first time in 20 years that I had been back and I saw people 
that um, that I went to grade school with and, and high school and talking to people and seeing people and hearing all these names and all these memories started to flood back. And then I started going into a depression because I started to remember. You know, I wasn't avoiding things anymore. I started to remember. I started to think about, you know, growing up and how hard it was and relation and, and memory started memories that I had blocked out started to kind of come back. At the same time I had also broken up with a boyfriend who after dating for four months was like, you know, I wanted to have that where are we where are we going? question. And he freaked out and wanted to see other people and I'm like, fine that which is fine, fine, you know, but I'm not gonna sit and wait around, which is a real growth experience for me. I'm not gonna sit around and wait. I'm leaving. Right. So there was that coupled upon having this huge reunion with all these memories coming forward and you know what were some of the memories that came um a lot of the memories were (laughs) being alone being ignored um you know i like i said earlier i was i was always just wallpaper i always i did not want to make waves i did not want to get attention because the attention always had to be on mom and it there was always this message that that was given to me to don't talk don't say anything mom needs the help her needs are more. Do you remember any yours. specific incidents where you tried to get attention in a in a healthy or unhealthy mm-hmm. way, and what the reaction was of your other family members? Was it like exasperation? What what was there? Exasperation, frustration. You know, my dad. Would, you know, I get punished by my my dad was always the, the 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 one who did the punishing, and you know he'd send me to my room. You know, I would. I, I think all in all, I was a good kid. I I didn't get into a lot of trouble and didn't get into a lot of scrapes. Um, I tried to run away. Um, unfortunately, no one knew that I ran away. I was gone for a couple hours. No one, no one, no one knew I was gone. <laughs> but in my mind, I ran away. <laughs> You know, but that was, I mean, but I think that is such a... Did you get a little hobo stick? I know. <laughs> With a little yeah. kerchief tied on the yeah. bag? No. <laughs> no. Uh, good idea, though. Uh, <laughs> no, I just, but I think that was just, just such a strong indicator of really how much attention was paid to me. That I was gone for a few hours and nobody knew. No one knew where I was. And, and, I, I, and I left, I had decided that that's it. I'm done with this. I'm leaving. I walked around town for a couple of hours. How I old came were you? back. Probably about 10. Probably about 10. I came back and what's for dinner? And that was And you never told anybody. Never told anybody. Never told anybody. Um you know, I did the usual smoking, you know, I didn't really do drugs. I didn't really drink. Um Was food a know, comfort back food then? Food was a huge comfort. Food was always a huge comfort. When did the shame uh, start around food? Uh, High school, most likely. High school. A lot of, um, I mean, I was always overweight. I was always, um, I never had a good sense of self. Um, Never had a boyfriend. Um, I I think I had my first boyfriend when I was in my early 20s. Um, You know, didn't, was always painfully shy. Uh, you know, a boy would come up and talk to me and I'd just be like, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like I just couldn't really handle the interaction um, with, uh, with other people. So I think it was high school when the food really started and, and, and maybe even before so because cause I was always fending for myself. And what are you going to do when you're eight years old and you're hungry? You're going to go down to the corner store and get a slice of pizza. Especially if you're lonely, who's going to stop eating 
you know, when you've quote unquote had enough nutritionally. Right. Right. And I don't, I mean, well, nutrition, I mean, I don't think I ever really touched a vegetable until I moved to California. You know, <laughs> you know, vegetables were canned or frozen. Um, you know, the diet was just awful. You know, even, even, even whatever food that was cooked at home was prepared according to what my mom could eat and what she couldn't eat. Um, you know, you had to be very careful about um, spices and, and things to, to put in her food. All her food had to be blended because she couldn't swallow um, or she couldn't chew. Um, she could swallow, but she couldn't chew. You know, spices made her um, produce more saliva, which had to be suctioned out more because she couldn't swallow it enough in time. Right. So it just, you know, food for me was was always external. It was always going out and finding and foraging. So to speak, mm -hmm. and foraging for pizza and cheesesteaks and soft pretzels and candy. You're, make, you're making me hungry. Sorry. You're making me so hungry. <laughs> uh, was there ever any physical affection or the saying of I love you from people in your family towards you or each other? Um, you know, my dad used to tuck me in when I was a kid. I remember him tucking me in at night. I remember him telling me he loved me. But as I got older, that stopped. Um, the, from my siblings, I don't remember. I, I, you know, this is something that I struggle with. I don't remember a lot about my childhood. Um, I'm getting more and more memories the more I'm in therapy. Uh, the ones that I'm getting, I don't know if I necessarily want. Um, but, uh, you know, I remember being kind of bullied pushed around by neighborhood kids. I remember being, you know, and when I wasn't bullied, I was ignored. Um, I remember um, wanting to kill myself when I was a kid. You know, I, you know, running away didn't work. So I thought, you know, let me try something a little more drastic. And I remember this was a recent memory that actually just came up a couple weeks ago, um, you know, sitting in my basement and looking at the ceiling and thinking, how can I hang a rope? You know, how can I hang myself? How can I hang a rope? You know, I mean, this is just you know so in terms of love and affection hugging not really not really i even um i mean even now at age 40 you know people like you know we we hugged when you when you when you know when i first saw you and it's very foreign to me it's like oh you know i have to hug somebody it's it's uncomfortable yeah it's uncomfortable I should probably ask before I hug people. Oh no, I'm a, I'm a hugger. <laughs> no, and there's the and you know and I and I have to say I've I've it's I like that and I, I do it to people too, but it still is a foreign. It's still foreign if, okay. if that makes sense. So it didn't make your skin crawl. No, it did okay. not make my skin crawl. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I see. No. Um. So let's talk about the relationship that you got into the the guy that you married you've shared a little bit of of that with yeah. me yeah so I was 20 and I was in my second college my second attempt at college um, my first attempt was uh, right out of high school and uh, I drank a lot and I partied a lot and my grades suffered and I kind of got kicked out because my grades were so bad and I couldn't get financial aid anymore so I was I was gone so I ended up going to a local community college and um, I was taking a photography class and that's where I met my ex-husband and he he was dark he was dangerous he was in a gang he was a 
drugs and alcohol. He was a bad kid, and I was the complete, complete opposite of that. Um, but I was completely drawn into him and his drama and um you know he used to do graffiti and and uh but when i but when i had met him and he was in school he had just gotten his ged and was going back to school to better himself he i got in the crap kicked out of him um jumped by a bunch of guys and are you sure you're not thinking of the movie electric boogaloo (laughs) (laughs) i love those movies (laughs) yes (laughs) um uh break in and all those other ones (laughs) um no, not not as not as fun as those, but uh, it definitely, um, you know. And, and I think I think what I liked is I liked the attention. I liked the dangerousness of him. I liked the fact that um, he paid attention to me, which is not what, what I had. What before. was his attention towards you like in the beginning and towards the end? In the beginning, it was. Um, in the beginning, it was it was good. It was it was all encompassing, if that makes sense. It was I lost friends because of him. You know, it was spend all your time with me. Don't talk to anybody else. We get very jealous when we would talk to other people. And I was so naive that all I wanted to do was make him happy. Right. So you don't want me to talk to my friends. I, it feels uncomfortable, and I'm not quite sure, but. Okay, I, I guess I guess I won't, you know, because you're more important to me. And it, I actually moved in with him. Um, I had a huge fight with my sister and my brother-in-law, um, and I actually moved in with him and his mom, probably like two, three months after we met. You know, um, it was the living with my sister was you live under my house, you live under my rules, and I was like, screw you, I don't need you. You're not my parents, you know, and I, I left and I moved in with him, and which was the worst thing I could have done. By the way, anybody listening, especially uh, younger people, if you're in a relationship with somebody that is trying to isolate you from your friends, run. Yeah. Run. Yeah. And if you're somebody that is trying to isolate somebody from their friends, mm-hmm. please go to therapy. Yeah. Yeah. His mother said to me, when we first started dating, to be careful because he was just like his father, and she was divorced from her father. He had left. He had left um, the family when when uh, my ex was about four years old, and just completely out of his life from from age four on. And I didn't understand at the time. Now I look back and I'm thinking, my God, I should have listened to her. But at the time, I didn't even. I just thought it was the weirdest thing she could have said to me, and I didn't understand. Um, so we, uh, I became completely isolated from everyone. I want to say I even became isolated from my from my sister, um, and from my siblings. Um, I mean, I would still see him on holidays, but but even then, everything was it was always about him. It was always about him. It was always about him and his family and his needs and what he wanted to do. Um, we were together for probably about ten years. Um, the relationship just kept going down into a downward spiral. He. Um, over time, I think was very, um, at times can be very bipolar, uh, at times um, had a drinking problem, at times was emotionally abusive and verbally abusive. Um, and, uh, you know, I think in the 10 years we were together, cheated on 
me a, a couple of times. Um, I know I'm kind of just kind of doing a quick summation, but um, and you could always go back mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and ask. But um, you know, was addicted to pornography, had a sex addiction, had um, you know, just not a nice person not a nice person and I didn't see any of this initially everything seemed so different and fun and exciting and we would go we would do things and we would travel and we would go places and and that was what reeled me in initially you know it's it, the the person that that is kind of controlling and mistakes that for love you yes. know trying to fill that neediness for them yeah. it, it seems like so often they're they are incredibly charming yes. they are incredibly they present a facade that draws that person in you know it's, it's almost like the pedophile that grooms somebody mm-hmm. and i suppose in a lot of ways they're they're similar to the to the pedophile in that they have an insatiable need that isn't socially acceptable that doesn't work yeah and they've got to develop this this thing to um to reel people in and mm-hmm. then and then to 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 isolate them and yeah he had his he had this way of convincing me to do things um he he was just very he was he was very charming he he had this way of convincing me to to um there was a point in our relationship where things were getting so strained and he um had cheated on me and I had broken up with him and we had broken. We were not together for a few months. He actually moved out here to California, um, wanting to make a change and then changed his mind and went back to after we were living in Boston at the time, went back to Boston and asked me to marry him, you know, and I said, yes. And, you know, what made you you say yes? I was so afraid of being alone. I was so afraid. Um, you know, I we were so dependent upon each other and needy that, and it was so unhealthy in that sense. Um, Did you know it was unhealthy back then? No, no. A lot of this is retrospect, right? A lot of this is retrospect. I didn't know. I knew it was wrong that he cheated on me. I was very upset with that. I was very angry. Um, I I remember, you know, he had asked me to marry him, and I said yes, and I. But I I remember not feeling right about it. I remember just, but it's what I should do. It makes sense because I don't want to lose him. Because if I lose him, what do I have? I have nothing. Um, When he came back and we got engaged, um, I was very, um, how do I say it? I I still had some strength in the sense of like, okay, well, I'm going to bring you back, but there's conditions. Right. Like, we're going to wait a little while before we get married. I want to finish school. I, um, you know, I am going to make you I'm going to make your life living hell. If you you look at another girl, I'm going to be pissed and I'm going to say something like I made his life like a living hell, like very passive aggressively for like a good year. Um, But then he got my trust back and he got my trust back. And then once he got the trust back, he started to suggest to bring other women into the relationship because he and how he, how he presented it to me was how do I say this cuz again it was like it was just he would just talk and he would talk and he would talk me he would just talk me to death you know and, and to the point where I would just give up 
right? Okay, just leave me. Just stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'll do whatever you need me to do. Just leave me alone Man, there, and let me do my there thing. There <laughs> are so many people that that is such an effective tool is that they are willing to energize Bunny, you, yes. into getting what they want. Yes. And he somehow convinced me through all this talk and all these scenarios and, well, you know, maybe I won't cheat if we bring another woman into our relationship. But you, you, you like that, too, because you've watched pornos with me. You like that, too. You know, you think it's interesting. Why don't you explore it? You know, it was this very subtle, very – and I was curious. And, yes, I enjoyed watching this. And, yes, I, you know, was curious about it. And I'm the type of person that I'm like, sure, let's try it, right? But it, it, it got out of control. Like everything else, it got completely out of control. Because once you got that, he wanted more and he wanted more and he wanted to, you know, he wanted to go to clubs and he wanted to, you know, he wanted me to go recruit people, you know, and I recruit women in, into our relationship and I, I, I didn't feel right about it. You know, yes, after like the first couple of times, yes, this was fun, but I'm done. That, that was my mentality. First couple of times, this is fun. This is interesting. I'm done. This is not where I want my relationship to be. What, what did you like about the initial experiences and what changed that, that you didn't want <clears throat> to do it anymore? What I liked initially, I mean, it's sex. It's fun. Sex is fun. And it's, uh, it feels good. And it is, uh, it was, uh, Dangerous, right? It was kind of dangerous and sexy and exciting, right? It was kind of taboo. That that's what kind of drew me into it. Um, um, what I after a while, what I, I I started not to feel right about it. I started to. I wanted my husband. I wanted my relationship with my husband. I did not want other people in that relationship. I started to get jealous. I started to get angry. I started to get bitter. I, um, and I didn't know how to say it to him because when I would tell him this, he would again, fire back at me. Uh, you know, just, Oh, come on. You knew you wanted this. You said you wanted it. You know, you, you told me you wanted this. Was he, was his attention in the beginning evenly split between you and the other woman? And then it progressed to where he, he wouldn't hide the fact that, she was really what yeah yeah he would well he hid it for a while um he tried to hide it for for a while i ended up finding out about it um I tried to hide what he tried to hide his relationship with this other woman oh okay um, yeah, so he, he was seeing he was, her he was sneaking around and he tried so to hide it before or after she came in for the the you know menage a trois yeah. <laughs> uh before before okay. Yeah. Once, once he found out about, or once I found out about it, it was. So they pretended you know, like they'd never had sex before when they, yeah. when you had the thing. Did yeah. you suspect anything? Oh yeah. She would call the house. You know, she called the apartment. We live in this tiny little one bedroom apartment. She would call the apartment. She would. She, they would be on the phone for hours. You know, before I'm, or after. The uh, this was before. This was uh, after they had the uh, the affair, um, or after they were sleeping with each other. Before I had even known. Before I was ever even involved. Um, so you knew on a yeah. certain level, but you didn't want to admit to yourself. Yes, absolutely. Because then you might have to be alone. Exactly. It's amazing how we will lie to ourselves to avoid our our deepest fears. Yeah. 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 It um, It got to the point where I didn't, I, I just, I didn't feel right about it anymore. I didn't want to do this anymore. You know, he, like I said, he, he, he started to... 
he was never happy with what he had. Not to say that's a fault, right? But, oh, no, that's an addict. But yeah, <laughs> that's it is. Yeah, the hallmark of addiction. Yeah, he just he spent hours on the computer in front of you know looking at porn and downloading porn, and and then if it wasn't that, you know, it was talking to to girls on the internet, trying to get people to come into our relationship. It was just 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 a constant, constant, constant. Um, you know, wanting more, wanting more. And I, and I, I started to resist. And the more I started to resist, the angrier, the angrier I got. And the more we started to fight. Um, we, um, he would completely, he would always put me down emotionally. Um, you know, he would compare me to these girls. He would tell me that I'm not, I'm not dressing the right way, not presenting myself the right way. I'm not sexy enough. I'm not enough for him. Because, you know, I'm not enough for him, so he is to go find these other women. But it's okay because I'm I'm involved as well. Like, there's that. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. So I still, str- I mean, we got divorced in 2001. Um, I still struggle with just these feelings of worth, worthlessness, right? Like, I still hear them in my head. You know, you're not good enough. You're not sexy enough. Nobody's going to want you. You know, you're too fat. You need to work out. I mean, I just hear his voice all the time in my head. So um, it's, you know, it's something else I'm working on. (laughs) Um, And I I think, you know, I buried a lot of that, too. I buried a lot of those emotions. Um, We ended up breaking up. Finally, um, after 10 years, so uh, he had another affair um, and didn't tell me. I, at this point, by the time we had, he had this other, this last affair, I had completely somehow gotten out of our menage a trois that we were having. I, because um, I would just resist so much. The more I resisted, the angrier I got and the more distant he got from me so he started to seek whatever it is that he needed elsewhere so he met um he had met a model a girl um who was actually from la area um and uh they had they had an affair and i didn't know um again it was one of those situations where i kind of suspected something was up you know spending a lot of time with her um you know, she was around a lot. Um, I know. love, by the way, that he <laughs> isolated you from all your friends and then yeah. would go... Yeah. Off and make his own way in the world. Yes. Yes. You know. He probably couldn't even see what he was doing or or it was too terrifying for him to look at. He was terrified of being alone himself. I mean, his father... His father left him when he was four and was not in his life at all, whatsoever. His father appeared um, when we were both in college in Boston. Um, his father just appeared out of nowhere. Hey, I hear you're graduating college. You know, great to see. I, I want to see you. You know, I, I want to be supportive when he wasn't even there. You know, any other time in his life. <laughs> now that I don't have any financial responsibility <laughs> exactly. to you. Ding dong. Ding dong. I'm here. And, you know, and my ex became like a little kid. You could see it in his, in his, his whole body. He was so excited. And my dad's here. My dad's here. And I, you know, he wants to talk to me. He wants to spend time with me. I'm interested in photography. He bought me a camera, right? Like he, he reverted to this child. 
Um, and as quickly as his dad came in, his dad left again. Oh, my God. So he just, um, I mean, he was not without his issues <laughs> as well. I can't imagine how painful that must have been yeah. to him. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, my God, my dad made the mistake of abandoning me. Mm-hmm. Now he sees I'm special. He's buying me yep. a camera. I can't imagine the core message that must have burned yeah. into him yeah. that I really am unlovable. Yeah. And when you look at the timeline of of events of when his father came in and then disappeared, that's when things really fell up, started to fall apart with our relationship. Um, and I think he started to really start to fall apart uh, mentally. It, and his addiction know. must have gone through the roof. Completely went through the roof. Completely. It just started making... You know, just it, it, the pressure on on me to, you know, living up in the Bay Area. You know, let's go to the sex clubs and you but know. Where and, would you find you know. one in the Bay Area? <laughs> it was uh, online Craigslist. <laughs> I was kidding. I was kidding. <laughs> you know, I guess, I don't know. He did all the research. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> hey, party people! You know what that sound means. It's time to give our sponsor some love, and our sponsor for this episode is Pill Pack. It's the pharmacy that makes it. Really simple to take the right medications and vitamins at the right time. Uh, PillPack will deliver pre-sorted meds straight to your door. It saves time. It reduces stress. Uh, go to PillPack.com slash happy hour. Uh, many reasons why I think this is such a great idea. I don't know about you guys, but I'm constantly going, oh, did I take my meds today? I can't remember if I took them or not. Um, the cool thing about Pill Pack is it comes in a very compact, almost like a tape dispenser, where you it's broken down into day, and if you have to take them at different times during the day, then it's even broken down into times. So you just pull it like you'd pull a piece of tape, and you see when your next one is, and the pills are all there in that packet, and you tear it off, and uh, it's simple. Uh, they they ship uh, prescriptions. Uh, to 33 states and non-prescriptions to all 50 states. It's super easy to enroll. Uh, just go to the website. Uh, PillPack will, uh, they'll contact your pharmacy and make sure that uh, everything gets switched over and they'll time it right so that you're not in, there's no lag period where you're without meds between your old pharmacy and them. And the thing that I really love about this idea is you don't have to wait in line at the fucking pharmacy. Oh, I need an extra med just to be behind that person who is getting 9,000 things, none of which are in stock. Oh, yet another reason why I like pill pack. I don't know about you, but I've showed up at the pharmacy sometimes and they're like, oh, we could only fill three days because we're out. You got to come back and wait behind a huge line of jackasses the same time next week. I won't stand for it. I will not stand for it. So go to uh, pill pack dot com slash happy hour support them support the show um, yeah i just um yeah it just i i started to i started to resist i started to fight back um and um he started to drink more um he would have blackout episodes um he was never physically abusive to me Though there was, uh, I, I'd probably say a few months before we split up, there was just this one incident, I think, that just kind of sums up our relationship, where um, we were up in Marin visiting f- some friends, 
and uh, he was drinking and he was smoking pot and we were all having a good time. I only had a couple of drinks. I, you know, I wasn't smoking. Um, you know, I'm like, I'll drive. And he just would not relinquish control. He just had to be in control all the time. And he's like, no, I'll drive home. We got into this huge argument. And I remember standing in the parking lot with our friends yelling at him to give up the keys. I'm yelling at him to give up the keys. And he just was adamant, I'm driving, you know, get in the goddamn car. And I did, which I should not have. Um, But what do I do being the passive aggressive person that I am? I just yelled at him the whole way home, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) watch out for that car. What are you doing? We almost got into a couple of accidents. um, And um, by the time, and I was yelling at him so much by the time we actually got out of the car, he was so enraged with me, he spit at me. And I was shocked. I didn't even know what to say. What was I the just, blood alcohol content of the goober? Uh, I don't even know. He didn't even remember. <laughs> he woke up the next day, had no memory of what he did or what happened. Just nothing. You know, and, I, and I'm angry and bitter because now I'm left with this memory ah, <laughs> that I have to rehash and tell him what happened. Can't be validated. No. Can't get an apology. No. 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 Um, so uh, when we finally broke up um, and got divorced, he was the one that confessed the last affair. I, I, I guess grief had, you know, gotten to him. And he uh, he told me, and I just finally somehow got the gumption and just said, "I'm done. I'm done." And I left. And I think at the time, I had a friend that had just moved from Boston uh, to San Francisco, and at the time he couldn't have been perfect because we moved in together. I don't know what I would have done if she wasn't there, because to be quite honest, I didn't really have very many friends. I was so isolated and all I had was my job and I you know my friend shows up and she's like hey I'm here I've just moved to San Francisco I'm like thank god will you be my roommate (laughs) my husband and I are getting a divorce and she's like oh my god what is going on um but the timing we were talking about the universe right the universe gives you what you need when you need it and I needed a friend and she was there do you still talk to her oh yeah we're still very close did you confide in her when you moved in about what you'd been through? Yes and no. Um, I don't think I've ever fully confided in anything to anyone with the exception of my therapist. You know, there's still many things that my friends don't know that um, my family doesn't know. You know, my family doesn't know about the other women. Um, I think maybe one or two friends know about the other women, and that's only been in the last couple years. Um, I very much took on the let's not talk about things. You don't talk about things. Um, you just keep it all internalized. Was there a fear that she was going to judge you for what you allowed him oh, yeah. to do and that you stayed? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, because I think most people, I think most people now see me as a very strong, and even though I'm bawling my eyes out right now, but strong, you know, independent person. And they don't, when I, you know, the people who I've confessed this to, don't get it they're like really (laughs) you know you did this you let this happen and i just was a very different person back then you know the fact that you're coming on this podcast and you're sharing these things is such a sign of strength yeah because clearly you're letting go of the shame and you're 
saying, hey, this stuff happened to me as a kid yeah. that drove this. Yeah. I'm not inherently weak. Yeah. Yeah. Therapy has helped. Um, listening to the show, to be honest, has helped immensely. Um, listening to other people tell their stories and listening to you tell your story has just been so healing for me. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've listened to a, a, an episode and somebody will say something and I'll, oh my God, I felt that way. Or, you know, I, I remember when I had something similar happen to me that um, would help me remember. And, you know, I've always been, well, I shouldn't say always, but I, I probably say in the last few years, I, I've, I think I've gotten to the point where I'm, I'm like, no bullshit. You ask me, I'll tell you. <laughs> I'll tell you. I, I, I feel like this inherent need to talk about it now and just to get it out and to tell people what's going on. Um, I had joined a support group um, called Motherless Daughters. I don't know if you've ever heard of, of, of this book. It's a, Motherless Daughters is a book uh, written by Hope Edelman, I believe her last name is. Um, which she had lost her mother at a young age, and she wrote this book. She's a doctor, wrote this book about the stages of life that a woman goes through and how that affects them um, when they've lost their mother at any age. You could have lost your mother at 15. You could have lost your mother at 60. It co it, it covers that. It talks about the effects that it has on, on a woman. And there have been... Would it apply to somebody who lost their mother when they were an infant? Absolutely. Okay. From an infant, even all the way up to okay. to, to 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 an adult, um, there's there are groups that have kind of popped up um, that surround that. You know, a group of women that get together and you know we, um, we we just hang out together. You know, and one thing that we have in common is we don't have moms, and we may talk about our stories and we may share our stories, but really it's more about just being together versus a grief. It's not a grief support group. It's just being supportive of each other. I've so Would it be fair to say celebrating the bond that you have? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and then even just telling a story about, you know, cooking, you know, and how I tried to cook the other day and I made a, I made a mess and I was so frustrated and it doesn't come easy to me. And, and hearing someone else say, oh, my God, me too, is very validating. Very, very validating. Um they uh so I found a really great group and I and I see them about once a month, but I started to find that I it wasn't necessarily enough because for me it's only part of the picture. It's not the full picture. You know, I lost my father too. So I started my own group. Oh my god, that's so yeah. awesome. So I started my own group and What's it called? It's Parental Loss Support Group. It's on meetup.com and um we have our first meeting next week. That's so fantastic, and yeah. it's in the, in the San Jose San area. San Jose area, yeah, yeah. What is the website for Motherless Daughters? Um, is there one? I can't remember off the top of my head, but if you just Google Motherless Daughters, it'll it'll pop up. Um, if you make sure you don't type in mothers and daughters, no. that's a completely different <laughs> website. <laughs> exactly. Yes, Motherless Daughters. Um, you. Um, you know, there's there's the book out there. You can find it. You can find it anywhere in any bookstore. There's um, the the group, the support group that I found was through Meetup. You know, there's a lot of great support groups on Meetup. Um, I, I found that, um, you know, I, I I just I just I want a connection with someone. You know, and that's what I what I'm seeking now is that connection. It's so beautiful. Yeah. I hope you realize how 
profoundly moving your conversation is. Is it? I don't know. Oh my God. <laughs> I don't know. It's. Yeah. Yeah. Your, your vulnerability and what you've been through mm-hmm. is, um, it's just so beautiful. Yeah. I don't think I fully understand yet. I think that's something I'm still learning. Um, how enormous what I've been through has been. Um, you know, because I, I hear you say that, and there's a part of me that's like, who, me? Right? You know, <laughs> and I want to turn around and be like, who, me? Are you talking to me? Like, um, I don't know if I feel it in my heart yet. Uh, I'm as moved as I've been with any episode yeah. that I've ever done, and I know the listeners feel the same way. I absolutely know that your episode is going to help people. I hope so. I hope so. That's really what, that's why I wanted to come. I really do want to help people. So, Can you see that you're a beautiful person? I guess, yeah. I don't know. I still very much have self-esteem issues um, that I will take a while to work on. It does. It takes a while. And, you know, my experience is it it's two steps forward, one step oh, back, yeah. that it's Absolutely. not like, oh, I've made it through the archway. Yeah. <laughs> I'm done. Right, right. It's. I think it's a lifelong yeah. thing, but I think there's a momentum to it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the habits that we get into, the healthy habits, really help that momentum go. Right. Keep going. And I've, you know, and, and, and th- I think therapy has been helping so much, too, because I'm very much... You know, I I do little things for myself now that I did that I didn't do before. You know, when I was knee deep in my depression, I didn't want to do anything. Right? I just all I could do was just stare at the television set and make it to work if if, if you know if I could. Um, now I try and do little things for myself. You know, I'm trying to get to the gym more. I'm trying to I'm I'm starting to have some health problems um, because of my horrible eating habits and not taking care of myself. That's also giving me a swift kick in the ass to be a little bit better and take care of myself a little bit more. Um, you know, I I am no longer on the depression medication. Um, I was on Lexapro for a few years. Uh, it's been about two months since I've been off it. I feel it really great, but I have to admit my emotions are everywhere. What was your doctor's recommendation? Was Did he or she recommend that you get off it? Yes. Um, it was, I, I was doing so well in therapy. I mean, I go to therapy once a week, um, you know, and I, I was doing really, really well. And I was, I personally was feeling stronger. Um, they made that my doctor had made this, my, the, the psychiatrist had made the suggestion, you know, he's like, you would really be a great candidate to go off of this. Why don't we try it? And at first I was very resistant to it. Very resistant. I, I just, I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready, but he let me do it on my own my own time is this an md or a psychiatrist that was a psychiatrist yeah so i have my therapist and then i have the psychiatrist which was always kind of weird to me i thought because you know i see my therapist every week right i see the psychiatrist dude like once every three six months right and i go in and i tell him how i'm feeling and he makes that determination you know just kind of based on 30 minutes of talking to me you know um i do the same thing yeah. by the way <laughs> i do yeah, yeah. Do you? and i think they're both important yeah they are they totally are and 
he, he so when he finally so when the th- psychiatrist finally said you know you should try it I, again I was very resistant uh, but I thought about it for a while and I talked about it with my therapist and I said you know I, I'm going to try and give it a shot and uh, as I started to go off of it you know I just realized there wasn't much of a change I was I was feeling good I was feeling good and then that's when I knew I was really ready to ready to do it um, my emotions though are all over the place I cry at commercials you know <laughs> mm-hmm. I um got very emotional driving down here um you know just knowing what i was going to do um just you know going coming to talk to you got got all these emotions thrown up i've cried at work (laughs) which is the worst thing to do like i've cried at work i you know i feel like i cry everywhere but um you know you know my therapist is very supportive and she's like you know but it's good because you're actually feeling you weren't feeling before you're feeling now and that's what's you know, and when you start to feel is when you can start to heal. You know, it, as, as you share that, when I went off uh, my my meds um, two years ago, two and a half, three years ago, I experienced the same thing. But it, I, I felt like it was so much that I was becoming so sad mm. mm-hmm. that. I needed to go back on them. And I wonder what the difference is between feeling your emotions and crying yeah. and it becoming something that is, if not unhealthy, um, a sign of a, a, a chemical imbalance that could yeah. use going back on meds. And I certainly don't know what yeah. the answer is is to that, but I, I, I thought that would be a question to just kind of flow it float out there yeah and I think one of the things that I think that I've learned um, just from talking to my therapist is if you come out of it that's you know it, when, when you go into when you go into the sadness and you're in the sadness however long it is you're in the sadness but if you can come out of it on the other side that's a sign of progression oh, that and that's sense. that that's the sign of something positive is happening because you're 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 learning how to cope i see so it's not yeah. your normal state it's, it's just you're state. feeling these feelings exactly it scared me when i yeah. went off them um i remember a guy sharing in a support group about getting in his van and opening his veins and the blood shooting all over the place and him saying, Father, I'm ready to come home. Oh my God. And of yeah. course, to cry when he shared that, you know, was just a human yeah. thing to do. Yeah. But I remember wanting to be in that position because right. I felt so tired of mm-hmm. feeling sad. Right. Right. And, and so I think it was probably a good thing that. <laughs> that was kind of a wake-up call for right. me that that's not <laughs> right. It's okay to to identify, but not to be jealous exactly. of the fact that this person had the gumption yeah. to do it. And I've always loved vans. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think um, there 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 was there was a point where right before I went into therapy that I um, that I contemplated suicide again, um, and I was so. I was what 39 38 I was I didn't realize I I didn't realize exactly what was going on with me I didn't realize how sad I had gotten and that was probably the wake up call that I that I needed um but I look at how sad I was back then and I look at my sadness now and the sadness that I experienced and I was remarkably different um whereas back then if I 
was was in a funk I, I couldn't get out of it it would just get worse and worse and it'd feed upon itself and then like I hate myself and I'm fat and I'm ugly and I you know I can't do anything right and, and I mean you just get in this downward spiral where now it's yeah I'm really sad and I'm really frustrated and you know I haven't had a date in a few years and I don't feel great about myself but I'm gonna go to the gym tomorrow and make that promise to, to go to the gym tomorrow. It sounds like the, the difference between the two sadnesses is, is that there's a compassion for the, the hurt little kid in you. Yeah. And yeah. whereas you're just, that little kid is beating up the adult you. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for, for being uh, a part of this podcast, yeah, Tracy. I really, really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having it and having me. Many, many thanks to uh, to Tracy. Uh, we recorded that episode about, I want to say about almost a year ago. I think it was last summer. Uh, maybe not quite that long. Um, I'll get back to you with that. And I'll skywrite it when I find out that uh, that exact date. And so I always like to check in with them and see if anything is, uh, has changed. And uh, let them know that I'm putting their episode up. And Tracy wrote me back, uh, oh my God, I'm suddenly terrified. Um laugh out loud. Uh, I'm off of the meds and doing better every day. I haven't been to the support groups in a long time, but I still go to therapy once a week. Uh, the support group that I tried to start on my own didn't get off the ground. I couldn't seem to get anyone to show up, but I've learned that no shows are common for meetups. Um, in the parentheses, meetup.com. Since then, my attention has been focused elsewhere, like my continuing therapy, writing, my diet, and working out. All of that certainly has been keeping me busy. I started a blog at rediscoveringmeblog.com and you can find me on Twitter at rediscoverblog um, at rediscoverblog now I'm going to have to work harder on them no pressure I'm also on Facebook um, but I'm going to have to see if my profile is public oh man I don't think I can sleep now lol thank you so much Tracy Um, before I get to this uh these surveys, I want to remind you that there's a couple of different ways you can support the show if you feel so inclined, and it means a lot to me, if you would. Um, you can support us financially by going to the website mentalpod.com and uh, making a one-time PayPal donation, or uh, my favorite is making signing up to be a monthly uh, PayPal donor. You can do it for as little as five bucks a month. It's super easy to sign up, and uh, once you've signed up, you don't have to do anything unless you decide to cancel. Um which causes me to shake my fist at the sky, or um, or if your credit card expires. Um, but it's safe, it's simple, and it means the world to me. God bless those of you who are uh, monthly donors or donors of any any kind. You can also support us uh, financially by shopping through our Amazon search portal. Uh, beware, it doesn't show up on Firefox if you're using that browser. But it's on the right-hand side of the homepage about halfway down. And just enter through there, and then if you wind up buying something on Amazon, it uh, they give us a couple of nickels. doesn't cost you anything. You can buy T-shirts, Metal Illness Happy Hour T-shirts on our website. Um, they have We have women's sizes now. And uh, it used to be unisex, and I got a lot of emails from women that were like, come on, get us something that is flattering on us. Um, and you can support us non-financially by going to iTunes. I like how my voice got high there. Like suddenly I was going to be sincere, like I'd been a complete fraud up until this point. But now I was going to lay it down. I was going to hit you with the truth, 70s style. I don't even know what that means. Uh, you can uh, go to iTunes, write something nice, give us a good rating. Uh, that helps the show. 
and spreading the word through social media. That really, really helps. So thank you, those of you who have, who have uh, stepped up and done that. I appreciate it. This is a survey. This is from the Being Hospitalized survey, filled out by a guy who calls himself Ahmed. He's in his 30s. And um, why were you hospitalized? I had hallucinations, insomnia, and severe depression. Describe your experience. I fought being hospitalized. I insisted I would be better off at home. But a week in the hospital helped me feel more tranquil and in control. Boy, the... It is all over the place, the variety of experiences that people have had being being hospitalized. This is a, an awful moment. By the way, I sent a little uh, Facebook Twitter blast out there asking people to contribute more to the awful moments and the happy moments, and I got a nice flood of them uh, today. And uh, I hope they don't dry up, because uh, those are an, an important part, at least to me, of the show, is those moments of, of levity and all these... Uh, heavy surveys. Uh, Joey writes his his awfulsome moment. I recently discovered my 70-something father had been obsessed with another woman other than his wife some 20 years prior. His obsession had led him to allegedly spy on her while masturbating on a cinder block wall in her backyard. This was happening the same year my mom died. Way to go, dad. God, do I love awfulsome moments. It is just, it is life condensed. It's the condensed milk of life. That's what it is. It's just boiled boiled down however they condensed milk until it's just smooth and creamy and sweet. And oh my God. This is from the Shouldn't Feel This Way survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Lou. And she is... Bisexual, in her 30s, raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. Uh, what would you like people to say about you at your funeral? She was the most amazing person in the world. She was beautiful. Author of a dozen remarkable novels. Funny. A great friend and a wonderful wife. She was good at everything. How does writing that make you feel? Ashamed and scared over my impossible desires. Uh, well, you would feel a lot better if you knew the fucking grandiosity that goes through my mind on a weekly or daily basis. If you had a time machine, how would you use it? I would go back to when I was a child, to where I think I remember abuse in a ballet studio. I remember blood and being naked, and that's it. Maybe it was an injury, maybe not. Uh, by the way, unless it would be triggering to you, maybe it would be helpful, um, Lou. Listen to the episode with um, Brenda Colonna. Um, and the episode with um, Jess. Uh, I'm supposed to feel excited about being alive, but I don't. Um, I feel bored. I'm supposed to feel good about my artistic endeavors, but I don't. I feel like I'll never produce anything anybody will want to read. I'm supposed to feel angry about being molested by a man eight years older than me when I was 14, but I don't. I feel nothing. You know, I want to give you a hug because, um, well, I'll, I'll continue reading it. Uh, how's that writing that make you feel fucked up, incredibly fucked up. And do you think you're abnormal for feeling what you do? Some things that definitely feel abnormal for desiring death and not really caring about being a victim. I do think perfectionism is not all that unusual for artists. It's also not at all unusual for people who have been um, abused. Really, really common. And feeling numb about your abuse is also a really common coping mechanism um, for a lot of us who were sexually fucked with. Um, that anger is there, but it's buried deep down inside because we couldn't 
let it out as kids. So I want to let you know that you're, you're not alone in that. Would knowing other people feel the same way make you feel better about yourself? Not really. I will always battle against my inner dialogues. Um, but, but you don't have to keep them to yourself, is what I would say. You can share them with appropriate people, especially mental health professionals. Um, this is struggle in a sentence. I got a lot of these today. You guys, you guys uh, went on a tear with these struggle in a sentences. Um, I'm not sure I even have any shame in a secret, shame and secrets uh, for today. I might have one. Uh, I'm not sure. Well, actually, somebody sent me an email that is uh, could could be a section of the shame and secrets, but um, that's further along. This is from the struggle in a sentence filled out by Tori. Uh, she's in her 20s, about her depression. Everything that happens in the day, whether it's positive or negative, will somehow manage to destroy me on the inside. About her anxiety. My mind is constantly racing, racing, racing. My subconscious is screaming, 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 and my hands won't stop shaking, shaking, shaking. I think you got a song there. We just need to put a beat to it. About her alcoholism and drug addiction, the only cure to my racing thoughts and shaking hands is to inhale the smoke that sets me free. About her love addiction, I crave acceptance for when I am alone, the darkness creeps in. About her PTSD, I cannot sleep. Even two years after my accident, every time I close my eyes, I hear the screaming tires and feel the impact of the car crushing into mine, paralyzing me to my core. I feel as if it will never end, and that purely terrifies me. Um... Physical handicap after my near-fatal accident, crushing my hips and leading to three surgeries. I live each day in constant pain, incurable and unforgettable. Give us a snapshot moment from your life that highlights one of your issues or struggles. August 11th, 2011. Leaving work, pulling out onto the main road in my little Taurus. Uh, it went into slow motion. I look to my left and see an SUV coming straight towards me. Before I could even think to do anything about it, I hear the impact into my driver's side door. My heart stopped beating. I wake up in the ambulance after they got my heart going again. Oh, literally stopped beating. Um, look out the window, see my car shattered and bent to a 45-degree angle. I tried moving my legs and failed. It was the most terrifying moment of my life. I thought I was paralyzed. My pelvic bone was fractured in six places. I spent the next 14 days in the hospital and the next two years in physical therapy and cognitive therapy. To this day, that moment is drilled into my memory, affecting every move I make. Well, sending you a big hug. Uh, she would also like to hear more episodes with PTSD patients. I would too. They're just not so easy to come by. So anybody who lives with PTSD, who lives in the Southern California area or is coming here, shoot me an, an email because I think that's a really, really important uh, topic for, for us to delve into a little a little deeper. And especially people from the armed forces. Um, I know a lot of you guys and girls uh, are really struggling out there. Really uncomfortable, I said, guys and girls, men and women. Ugh. Perfectionist angst moment. This is from the Happy Moments, filled out by a guy who calls himself Ribo Dude. Um, and his happy moment, realizing that for several days I had woken up looking forward to the day and that the feelings of fear that I had grown used to over the last several years have gone. It makes every day feel like spring. That, I love reading that. This is from The Struggle in a Sentence, filled out by a woman who calls herself Bob's Your Uncle. Love that name. She's a teenager about her depression. She writes a lead blanket over thoughts, making them hard to process. Over her anxiety, splinter in brain, can't stop running, mental handover. 
about her anorexia, a horrible dread picturing food or fatness, and about her anger issues, a very fiery feeling in stomach and like a bee buzzing in head. Thank you for that. Do I think you or do I think Bob? This is an email that I got from um, a person who calls himself shameful 30-year-old. And he writes, Dear Paul, I'm a 30-year-old gay male with a secret I'm having more and more trouble with. When I was in my teens, I was very insecure about myself, and especially my homosexuality. I hadn't told anyone about it, and I struggled with self-esteem issues. Something happened one summer when I was in my late teens, and I was visiting my aunt and uncle and my cousins. Their youngest son was maybe nine at the time. I was obviously still a virgin and incredibly curious sexually. I didn't know what to do. I ended up alone with my little cousin in his bedroom. I can't remember exactly how it happened, but we ended up in bed and I started touching his penis inside his pants and I let him touch mine. I didn't want to hurt him in any way and I didn't understand at the time what harm that can do to a person. I feel sick when I think about it now and I don't understand how I could get a, quote, charge out of doing something like that. I don't feel attracted to prepubescent people at all. It was a selfish and thoughtless act at the time that I lived to regret. My biggest worry is how he feels about it now. I see him maybe twice a year on average and everything seems fine. He's now in his 20s and seems to do okay in life even though I know he's struggled with low self-esteem. This this worries me. Uh, I fear I'm to blame for his struggles and why he's now a compulsive bodybuilder. Every time I see him, we talk and have a good tone. Um, nothing awkward or uncomfortable. He even gives me a manly hug and shoulder pat whenever we meet. I'm hoping he's forgotten about it, but I can't shake the feeling that I've made his life difficult. I also feel ashamed of the thought that he still remembers what happened. A part of me wants to talk to him about it, but it seems so unnatural. If he acted more distant towards me, I, I probably would, but he seems okay with me. Or is he? Am I a monster? Pedophilia and incest repulses me. I don't feel like I belong in either of those categories. It was a bad mistake, but I did it. I regret it, and I feel like I should take responsibility for it. But I don't want my family to hate me. I love my whole family, and I'm desperately hoping my cousin doesn't hold any grudges. Thanks for reading and hopefully understanding what I'm going through. Let's just hope I'm the only one going through this and not my cousin too. And I wrote him back and said, thank you for your email. I'm so sorry that you're filled with so much guilt and shame. Uh, I'm clearly not a mental health professional, but my opinion is that apologizing could be healing for both of you, and you are not a monster. Monsters don't have a conscience, which you clearly have. Nobody ever got healthier telling themselves they are a piece of shit. They got healthier by talking about their issues and finding tools to cope better with the overwhelming feelings and issues life throws at us. And... um that's just my my two cents on it and um you know whether or not he remembers it or it 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 hurt him um i don't know i don't know if any he's probably the only one that can can answer that and um but thank you for for confiding um in me uh, uh, and us about that because he also agreed to let me read that on the air um these are two, this is an, an awful moment from, uh, followed by a happy moment of his, uh, filled out by Gerald Morton. He is, that's the name he uses, and he's in his 30s. His awful moment. I was with my dad the night he died. I no longer lived in the same town, but it arrived a few hours earlier when my mom let me know the end was near. 
We'd known he was terminal for a while, and I'd seen him plenty over the last two years. That might have made things easier. It's hard to quantify grief. The last time my dad used the washroom, I helped him. He was frail, couldn't walk on his own, and had soiled his bed already. I half-carried, half-guided him to the washroom. It broke my heart to see one of the pillars of my life broken down. I did my best to be calm and not cry. I wanted his final hours to be peaceful and full of love. And then I realized why mom always had that sly look when we joked about icky parent sex when we were old enough to do so. Dad was packing heat. (laughs) When my dad passed in the early hours of the morning, I made sure to share this awfulsome moment with all of my family members. I figured they needed a laugh and a shudder not related to dad's death. (laughs) Thank you for sharing that. And then his happy moment, He writes, this is a bittersweet moment, but it never fails to make me smile. It was the night my dad died. I drove back to my hometown that night, knowing the end was near. He had cancer, and my two oldest sisters went home for a couple of hours sleep. I was left with him and my mom. He was awake and alert, and I joked, now that your favorite is here, you can go when you need to. He couldn't talk. He had cancer of the mouth and throat. He looked at my mom, smiled, and then looked at me and held up two fingers. I was his second favorite. Thank you for that. This is an awful moment filled out by a woman who calls herself Inertia. Uh, and she writes, Before my mother divorced my father, an alcoholic artist full of rage, I was at war with him throughout my teenage years. This, in turn, drove my mother crazy. She couldn't understand why I hated him so much. She made us sit down at the kitchen table and talk it out. When asked what my problem was, I said, Dad is aggressive. My dad jumped up, sending his chair flying, pushed his pushed his face up against mine and shouted, I am not aggressive. I remember the flecks of saliva hitting my face, his cheeks turning purple. He then stormed out of the kitchen and slammed the door behind him. I looked at my mother who rushed over to me to ask if I was okay. This was one of the events that eventually led to her seeing him for what he was and leaving him. We still laugh about it to this day. Uh, Awesome. Awfulsome. Uh, this is a happy moment uh, filled out by a woman who calls herself Pills and Bills. And uh, her happy moment when I was a little girl at bedtime, I would crawl into bed between my mom and dad to get snuggles. After I finished taking a bath and putting on my PJs, it gave me a chance to have their full attention and feel like I was being heard. I got to talk about my day or what was weighing on my mind. I would get hugs and kisses and feel safe, comforted, and loved. There was nothing weird or sexual about it, just a way for me to decompress because I had a hard time going to sleep because my mind would be racing from anxiety. Sometimes it didn't relax me enough so I could go to sleep, so I would go to my room only to secretly, secretively call my grandma in the middle of the night who would listen to my whispered chatter for an hour or two until I exhausted myself. No one knew at that time I had a problem because it wasn't something they were identifying in schools uh, yet in my rural area, let alone even talked about, uh, let alone even talked about. Mental illness in children? Unheard of. I was just being a kid. My parents and grandma were smart enough, though, to see I obviously needed something. What I got was unconditional love and support uh, from not one, but three people who cared enough about me to entertain a silly nighttime ritual, even if they were exhausted themselves, and they didn't quite understand what was the cause. We could have ended with that one. That one was so awesome. 
Some more struggle in a sentence. This is from a guy who calls himself uh, alone till together, I think it. I don't know. There's, it's, it's hard to read. It looks like there's a five in there. <laughs> what if, maybe I'm having an aneurysm. Uh, anyway, his, uh, his issues, uh, depression, a tsunami engulfs me, always from behind. Anxiety, stop looking at me. I'm scared you'll see me. Alcoholism and drug addiction, the only time I can control my OCD. Love addiction, I, I need to know I exist and matter to you. About his sex addiction, I need to know I'm appealing to somebody. About his OCD, someone is constantly banging and yelling at my door. I can't make them go away even if I let them in. Um, codependency, if he would just tell me I'm beautiful or that he wants me, all my problems would go away. And about his anger issues, I try to control my anger. There have been a few times, though, where I've blown up at work. Um, Give us a snapshot from your life that highlights one of your issues or struggles. My OCD. I obsess about saying the right thing and being perfect in social situations, hoping to not let the cracks, imperfections, in me show so to not turn people off from wanting to get to know me. I obsess about what to say in future conversations and have many rehearsals with myself. I will replay events in my head to see if and where I went wrong and obsess about it. Sometimes it brings on a great depression and if I don't have to work, I won't leave my bed for a whole day, then become more depressed because I feel more worthless for having accomplished nothing that day. Sending you a big hug. I think a lot of us know what that domino effect can be like. And dealing with our uh, our shit. Same survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Liz. She's a teenager about her depression. Depression is like being in grade school again. And your detention is that you have to sit there and watch everyone else have recess and have fun. What? Can you can you hear Herbert? Herbert's weighing in. What are you doing, buddy? Where is he? Oh, here. He's hiding behind the paper shredder. That was not a fart, by the way. That was my chair squeaking. I'll let you know when I fart. Again, I will sky ride it. <laughs> Herbert. <laughs> if you could see his face, it is the most adorable face. He's got these the little bottom teeth that show. Uh, my wife and I call it uh, tiny corn. It's like little little tiny rows on a on a. The, little baby corn cob and his bottom lip puffs out and it's always shiny it looks like it's almost like a cartoon where they sh- they you know it would it would have like a sparkle like a ding when light light hits it and he uh ugh, i just i want to eat his face anyway getting to uh Lissa's, uh struggle in a sentence about her oh and i totally relate to that everyone else is uh having recess and having fun uh, anxiety is wearing a suicide bomb and not knowing which wire to clip to stop it from going off. Bulimia is being hunched over a toilet and wishing you were a better anorexic. Anorexia is being unable to realize that the thing keeping you, quote, alive is also the thing killing you. Um, and then uh, cutting is being able to slice your wrists with ease but still not being able to pluck your goddamn eyebrows without tearing up. Um Give us a snapshot from your life that highlights one of your issues. 
I weigh myself after cutting in case the loss of blood caused me to lose weight. It's one of the compulsive things that I do, and it's stupid, but every time I have a little hope that it makes me lose weight. We're sending you a hug. I think I think all of the stuff that we read, especially from uh, our teenage listeners, um, it really really moves us. At least it does it, it does to me. Um, I often find they're like the the best at expressing what it is that the, that they're feeling. Um, this is uh, from another uh, teenage girl uh, who calls herself Kate about her depression. I hate myself and life is just a painful countdown to inevitable death. Anxiety. I'm ugly and can't do anything right. People don't and shouldn't like me. About her tryptotillomania and dermatillomania, there's something bad inside me and I want it out. Um, and she cuts uh, also. She writes... I, uh, her, her snapshot, I cut too deep. I didn't want to die because I didn't want to hurt my parents and sisters, but they were hundreds of miles away. I was bleeding out and wanted to call someone for help, but realized I have no one to call. No one really knows me or knows what I'm going through, but I lived through that night. I sometimes wish I hadn't. Well, I think we're glad. We're glad that you did. Um, this is filled out by Deanna, who's in her 20s about her depression. It's like the world is never going to be bright again. Anxiety. I'm going to lose my job and I'll never find another. Love addiction. One is never enough. Psychosis. I can never trust myself again. And hypomania. I am awesome and the world is mine. That is so great. Give us a snapshot. Um, and I believe her alter ego is what she's referring to when she calls it Eve. I sincerely doubt, even now, that Eve is just psychosis. She has always been with me, but dominant. And now she is an, now she is active and wants me to die. I believe in my heart that if I die, I can save the world. Uh, thank you for that. And um, we don't get many of the ones where people describe their psychosis, so, so thank you for that. Um, same survey filled out by Devin. Uh, she's in her 20s about her depression. Everything is so simple but so hard or exhausting to do. About her anxiety. Never-ending game of mind sweep. About her bulimia. Eating everything then throwing it up is like taking a breath of fresh air, eliminating all of the guilt and shame I have. Um, anorexia. When I starve, I'm in control. PTSD. As much as I try to hold uh, the things that happened to me, hold in the things that happened uh, something or someone is there to make me jump on the defense. Um, being a sex crime victim, what you did to me and how you hurt me has no words to describe. Um, and anger issues, why it is so hard to not react and act like a crazy person. Um, and give us a snapshot that highlights one of your issues. My mother was very mentally and physically abusive growing up. I've tried my whole life not to be like her, but to my disgust, I am just like her. I want to take a knife, cut open my veins so all of her blood runs out of me. Then maybe I can finally be a good person. Thank you for that, Devin. And um, I want to wrap it up with two happy moments. This one is from Janice, uh, who's in her 30s, and her happy moment, I started uh, antidepressants. It took a couple of weeks to acclimate, during which uh, time I was queasy and sleepy, uh, but that turned off like a switch. 
and I'm not bursting into tears every hour or getting weepy whenever I have a thought. A friend asked how I was, and I answered truthfully for the first time in years. It felt great. That, I just want to pump my fists in the sky when I hear somebody have that that moment. And then this last one is a happy moment filled out by Jeanette, and she's in her 40s. Uh, her happy moment, uh, I was at Trader, at Trader Joe's, a woman standing near me turned around who had an infant in a carrier on her chest with the baby facing out. It was a surprise to see this tiny, bald human looking right at me. So I said, hi, how are you? Uh, out doing a little shopping? The baby cracked a huge smile and was really looking into my eyes. I said a few more silly things and then exchanged a few words with the mom, thanking her for making my day. She thanked me too. I promptly steered my cart into the fr frozen foods and started to cry. I was overwhelmed because such a new, innocent person like that responded to me, that it gave me a moment of self-compassion and love that I realized I don't feel very often. Such a happy moment for me. Thank you for that, Jeanette. And thank you, guys. Thank you for listening. Thank you for emailing. Thank you for filling out the surveys. Thank you for supporting the show. Um, thank you for laughing with me and occasionally crying with me. And um, you complete me. You, you know, I'm just at a loss for words to express how well, Her Herbert's filling in for me. Did you hear that? Herbert, what do you think? Huh? Of course, now he says nothing. Anyway, if you're out there and you're feeling stuck, get out of your comfort zone and ask for help. Um, it saved my life. I'm going to start barring you from being in here, Herbert. Anyway, um, just know that you're not alone. And, um, <laughs> God damn you, Herbert. He is rolling around now in a, in a stack of surveys, like they have a scent, and he's trying to get on himself. You are not alone, and thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.